Tennessee walks, from Memphis to Bristol, from the legislature to the back roads. Barroom banter on all things Tennessee, the finest state in the union. And now to your hosts, Luke Elliott and Duncan Ng. Well, Duncan, how you doing? I'm doing all right, Luke. It's sure good to see you, brother. I've been over in Mississippi today. Granddaddy Joe and I went to church at St. Peter's by the Sea over there in Gulfport. You caught me just as I was listening to Peace in the Valley by Elvis, so it's been a good Sunday. Well, did y'all behave over there today? Well, we kind of did today. Last night, is a whole nother matter, I gotta admit. Well, we don't need to discuss that anyway. What do we got on the agenda today? Well, I think we've got lots of fun stuff for the good folks today. I'm gonna do a little talking about former Dyer County Sheriff Tommy Cribbs. Okay, Duncan, well, we'll let you get started with the story of the day. And, you know, really, we started this podcast off thinking we were gonna talk about politics. But when you look back at the stories of Tennessee's past, it's really more interesting to talk about that because people really don't realize all the crazy stories that happened, especially from about the 1950s to the 1980s. I mean, it's crazy what has happened in this state, and you really don't hear a lot about it. They don't teach it in the classroom. And so we decided that's what we want to talk about are these stories. You know, you are a Dyer County expert. There are two counties in this state where you can meet anybody from the county and almost be assured that you will enjoy their company. And that is Dyer County and Sevier County. I mean, Duncan, we've been to probably most of the counties in Tennessee and the people from Dyer County and Sevier County are salt of the earth. I'll also have to add for our buddy Stan, Polk County. Stan has taken me to Polk plenty of times, and those are good people, too. But Oh, I agree with you. Good rural folks. And what I love is in Dyer County, you get the old West Tennessee cotton country kind of salt of the earth people. And then on the other hand, when you go up toward, say, Sevier County, you get the good old school mountain type salt of the earth people. And both are great people and they have their little nuanced difference. But overall, you know, you're in good company when you're with them. And I love it. I wouldn't call myself a Dyer County expert, but that is my home soul, and I, I love that place more than anywhere in the world. I think if there's such a thing as heaven on earth, that's bound to be it. But today, I, I would like to regale the folks with a tale of one of our most notorious individuals called Tommy Cribbs, who was a sheriff in Dyer County, 1976 to 1985. And I freely confess to the good folks who are going to be listening to this podcast that I would not be near brave enough to tell this story had this man not passed away last May at the age of 79 because he was a tough cookie. And the last thing I would ever want to do would be to make him mad. But it's my pleasure to be able to tell the folks about good old Sheriff Cribs because he is quite the character and a lawman of the very old school. You know, in Tennessee, we have 
a history of great lawmen. One of which that everyone thinks of is Sheriff Buford Pusser from down around Savannah. You know, he was walking tall. They made three or four movies about him in the 80s. He was uh, actually murdered by what they called a little mafia type group uh, that was doing bootlegging and other operations in his neck of the woods. But Sheriff Cribs came from a very different side of the law. He was not the knight in shining armor. He was more like the dark knight. And so I'll uh, dive right into Sheriff Cribs. For folks that don't know, in November of 1985, he was the featured segment on ABC's 2020 with Geraldo Rivera when he underwent one of his major indictments for civil rights and federal firearm violations. So let me just tell you a little bit of background, Sheriff Cribs here. His favorite pastimes were extorting local businesses who... If they did not pay him the amount of money he thought he was owed, he would send some of his deputies to burn the joint to the ground. If he was bored of that, he would decide to tie one on in the evening at the local bar and get raring drunk. And he would go out searching for any manner of wildlife he could come across and would shoot as much or as many of these animals as he possibly could. And then I guess for some sort of remorse, he would take them home, dress them, clean them, and he would actually feed the inmates at the Dyer County Jail with what he called his so-called catch of the day. And he actually fed the inmates from his murder sprees of (laughs) all these animals that would put a game warden to shame. He also would get bored of that from time to time. And so he decided that he needed a more efficient way to interrogate prisoners and CIA didn't know what they were doing. So he would have large square blocks of ice delivered to the Dyer County Jail. He would strip prisoners naked and handcuff them down on these ice blocks and interrogate them until they confessed to whatever crime he accused them on one occasion. And by the way, I don't believe in speaking ill of the dead. So all of these things we're saying are complete matters of historical fact from the court order and maybe a little added scuttlebutt from the local population of Dye County that was there during the time. But on one occasion, if not more, uh, Sheriff Cribs, after enjoying quite a few drinks one evening, decided that he was sick of one of his inmates. So he ordered his deputy to unlock the jail door, unlock the cell door to the inmate, and he told the inmate he better get to running out that door into the parking lot because he had six shots. And if he missed him with all six shots, he could go free. Luckily for the inmate, Sheriff Cribs was so drunk, he didn't kill the poor fella. On top of all that, what eventually became the downfall of Sheriff Cribs was he decided to go on a drunken escapade with one of his buddies over across the river in Missouri one evening, where he decided it'd be real fun to uh, shoot some sheep that belonged to a fella in the area. Little did he know this fella was a circuit court judge for the great state of Missouri. So he shot some of his sheep. He decided it would be a real good idea to kidnap one of them. And he was caught by local law enforcement at a nearby motel field dressing that sheep. Now, officially, Sheriff Cribs told the officers that he was going to make it into his stew. They didn't find it real funny, but I have also heard from numerous people who were around in those days that they're afraid he might have been doing something else with that sheep in that hotel. I can't speak to that. And that was also confirmed by the Nashville scene because this was a national story. And that's what they speculated as well at the time. 
Exactly, exactly. There were quite a few people who said, and I, I believe maybe one of the responding officers said that they didn't start hearing noises until they pulled up. So they suspect he might have been doing some unspeakable things with that sheep. And he started field dressing it once they got there to make it look less bad, as if that was going to help the situation any. That's like Afghanistan style, I guess. <laughs> Particularly crude. We'll move on from that part. Of yes, we're going to move on. We're going to move on. <laughs> Anyway, eventually, Sheriff Cribs was indicted later on federal firearm charges because he helped several felons obtain, and according to the court record, a machine gun. Anyway, he helped a felon obtain several firearms and transport them across state lines from Tennessee to Missouri, which is big time known. On top of that, he was charged with violating the civil rights of at least three of his prisoners that they could prove after one of his deputies wore a wire on him because the deputy was afraid that the sheriff was going to kill him. I think in total, the sheriff was charged with 10 separate indictments with relating to this escapade. But here's the kicker. And this is for folks who are kind of new to Tennessee and Tennessee politics, don't exactly understand how things used to be taken care of in this state. This man received good conduct letters from numerous people. Congressman Ed Jones of the 8th District, who most people hail as one of the greatest congressmen to ever come from our neck. Local judges, local court clerk, the Dyer County court clerk at the time, even referred to Sheriff Cribs as, I quote, an upstanding Christian man, end quote. Geraldo grilled this fella about that comment, and his reply was, I just didn't know at the time, and I have nothing else to say. The current chief of police of Dyersburg at the time even wrote him a good conduct letter and told Geraldo that the only thing he was upset and ashamed about was that the sheriff actually admitted to the crimes he was charged with. So there's that. In the process of Sheriff Cribbs's trial, before he admitted to all these things, because he at first pleaded not guilty, he also decided it would be an opportune time to take out a hit on the district attorney at that time, Jim Horner, who is a friend of mine from Dyer County that I know to this day. He's still there now. And eventually it led to Sheriff Cribs being thrown in federal prison for five years. Now you would think that after all these things in five years in federal prison, especially in a small rural area, former Sheriff Cribs would keep a low profile, not try to talk to anybody, anything like that. Well, unfortunately, In 2012, in his late 70s, Sheriff Cribs decided it would be a good idea to get convicted once again on federal firearms violation and was once again sent back to the Crossbar Motel at the federal level. And it is worthy to note, though, I believe, that between his stays in the Crossbar Motel, he was a lifelong resident of Dyer County. And believe it or not, he even lived up the road from my great-great-uncle Malin Green for quite some time in Dyer, Tennessee. But uh, that's the little tidbit for this week on Sheriff Tommy Cribs of Dyersburg, Tennessee, 
I believe if we're not mistaken, we're going to embed the YouTube video that shows Geraldo's little stay in my beloved Dyer County. And to close out, I just want to say that we have some colorful characters all across Tennessee politics and across all locales in the great state of Tennessee. But that does not translate to how we are today. I don't want anybody to think from these stories that certain places are are crooked or backwards or anything like that. Those days are long since gone. But I think it's very important for us to remember how far we've come and where we're at now. Well, and that's true, Duncan. But I also, on our last episode, we talked about how human nature doesn't change. And so it'd be interesting to see in the future who gets in trouble for maybe not as severe of crimes, but there's always going to be bad stuff going down around power. And, you know, we got a FBI investigation going on right now, which we won't get too far into. But to me, it's just shocking how in the 70s and 80s, the FBI was all around Tennessee politics. And that's that's something we're going to discuss as time goes on, because Tennessee, I don't think people realize our politics are rough. And I do think it's gotten better. I mean, I agree with you that you don't have elected officials going out to people's field shooting their sheep and bringing them to a motel. But there's certainly still stuff going on. And I think anytime there's, I was listening to a podcast by Tennessean, which not a very good news source anymore because they don't have the trust of the legislature, right? People don't talk to them. Uh, but Tennessean and the banner in Nashville used to have great relationship with the legislature. They don't have that anymore because they're bringing in all, the, all these out of town reporters. They don't understand what's going on and nobody wants to talk to him but and the podcast said that anytime there's one party in power people probably know where you and i stand politically but anytime there's one party in absolute power it breeds corruption so you just got to wonder what's going on now i don't want to make that the focus of our discussion because i do agree with your sentiment that things have gotten a lot better i mean there's just a lot more pressure nowadays and a lot more ways to get in trouble there's a lot more transparency but human nature does not well i and i would agree with your view on human nature i i think what ended the kind of overt corruption we saw in tennessee politics for that period was the 24-hour news cycle social media that we have now i mean you cannot there's cameras on every phone, videotape. I mean, you can't get away with anything without there being someone there that can document it and get you in trouble. So I think it's forced a lot of this same kind of stuff to be a lot more nuanced and a lot more underground. And it sort of went from this kind of blue collar corruption to more white collar type corruption, for lack of a better word uh, or a better way to put it. And I I love the great state of Tennessee. I, I'm going to tell you, I think in regard to the when one party's in control for too long, I would say that some of the greatest political figures in the history of Tennessee we've ever encountered have been when the legislature and the government was fairly split because it requires people to rise up, to go above and beyond and to become statesmen instead of politicians, partisan politicians. You have to be statesmen. And for example, 
Take John J. Hooker. Completely disagree with his politics. Major Democrat. But no one in the state of Tennessee, past or present, could say that that man was not a statesman. He was admirable. And uh, if you ask him, he'll say that he is the one that brought the Republican Party to the stance it has in Tennessee government even now. And that may be true. But I just think... I think we all long for the days when our elected officials were more congenial statesmen and less babbling politicians. Well, that's a good point. And our politics are going to change pretty dramatically in this state over the next 10 to 20 years with all of these new people moving in. And I think I've told you this before, Duncan, but I'd rather hang out with a inner city Memphis Democrat than a out-of-state Williamson County Republican. I truly mean that because I do not believe you can develop a true love for this state without having lived here for at least 10 years. And people may think that's ignorant, and it probably is a little bit, but people may wonder why we get so defensive about keeping our state the way it is. And it's because we want to preserve our livelihood. And surely people can understand why somebody would want to do that. This state is in very good shape. It's a beautiful state. The finances are in impeccable shape. You know, we have great pro sports teams. We have great restaurants. Not so good on the schools, but it'll get worse as more people move in here. I mean, the research shows it's an absolute mess. But it'll be interesting to watch over the next, you know, 10 to 20 years what happens to the culture of Tennessee. And that's something that we really are trying to bring to light here. And we we don't think that all of the things in Tennessee's past are good. I mean, you know, there's there's plenty of things you could look upon with even a bit of shame. But most people don't realize how rich this state is in, in character. And just it's the people of this state are funny, hardworking and a lot more intelligent than an outsider would realize. What I want to hit home with the folks is Tennessee has a very rich history and it has that rich history because of the people that have made this state, stayed in this state and continue to stay and fight for this state. I don't mean any kind of disparagement toward any elected official, toward any kind of newcomer or anything like that. But I will say this, if we looked at the data on how many of our elected officials in this state are not native Tennesseans, I think the general population would be surprised, to say the least. And I I feel like it takes time to truly be able to appreciate the people of Tennessee and the nuances of Tennessee. You know, if someone just comes to Tennessee, they think, ah, Tennessee's Tennessee. But people that have been there know there's a difference between West Tennessee, Middle Tennessee, and East Tennessee. And the good folks couldn't see it, but the former state Senate majority leader and now federal judge for the Western District, Mark Norris, had this little thing where he would hold up three fingers and he would say, it's all about West Tennessee. And then he'd turn it upside down and it would make an M and say, it's all about Middle Tennessee. And then he'd turn it sideways and say, it's all about East Tennessee. And he said, you know, you've really got to be able to understand that as not only 
a leader for people across the state of Tennessee, but because each grand division in the state has very different things going for them. East Tennessee's tourism. Middle Tennessee is tourism and a good portion of agriculture, dairy and things of that nature. West Tennessee is old school road crop, Mississippi Delta, cotton, corn, soybean. And that's just the way it is. And then a little bit of the blues sprinkled into Memphis with the barbecue. But Well, and that's quickly changing. Sorry to interrupt. We're seeing a lot more tech companies coming to Chattanooga. A lot of financial companies come into Middle Tennessee. So it's all very exciting. And it's beautiful to watch the progress of this state. But it's also, you you sacrifice some things. You sacrifice culture. And you sacrifice being able to go around town and still know people. And But the unique thing about Tennessee is... As different as West Tennessee is from Middle Tennessee and as different as Middle Tennessee is from East Tennessee and as different as East Tennessee is from the other two Grand Division, we still can form this cohesive bond when it really counts and work together to do better as a state. And that goes to what you were saying earlier. We have one of the best financial situations out of any state in the country, if not the best, which by the way, this happened a couple of weeks ago and I want to give a little shout out. Uh, our state comptroller who has handled Tennessee's finances for years, Justin Wilson, has announced his retirement. And I want to give a proverbial tip of the hat to him because I've had the pleasure of meeting him on numerous occasions and he has done great things for Tennessee and we appreciate his service. But Tennessee has so many things going for it. And as long as we continue on this trajectory, we will be the greatest state in the union, which of course, personally, I think we already are and have been for a long time. But we are going to see fine, fine days, regardless of what happens on a federal level. Our people in Nashville are doing the right thing for the people of Tennessee. I have faith in our leadership in Nashville. And if any of them are listening to this podcast, I think we can both agree that we appreciate what they're doing. And we're thankful that we have such fine folks there to lead them. Well, Duncan, you've painted a pretty good profile of a state we both love. And I was reading on the internet today. just have to bring this up because it's probably something most people don't know. I didn't know it until I read it, but it was an ad that came up on Facebook. Now, I can't do this anymore because I'm getting old. You know that. But uh, it was a brand called Nelson's Greenbrier Whiskey. And they claim, and I checked this, to be their original Tennessee whiskey. You know, a lot of people think it's Jack Daniels, but... According to what I read today, it's it's really not. It's this Nelson's Greenbrier whiskey, and this is not an ad. I just thought it was interesting. They used to be the big brand. It was known all around the country, and everybody enjoyed it. But then when Prohibition came around, and Prohibition actually came to Tennessee much sooner than it did on a federal level. It came in 1907, whereas when did it come at a federal level? The 20s, late 20s? Sometime in the 20s, yeah, I, I- I couldn't tell you right off the top of my head. I feel ashamed. Well, anyways, this brand... It was a dark day either way, I can tell you that. Well, I bet for you it might have been. I would have been better off without it. But in 1909, this whiskey brand shut down because two years after Tennessee Prohibition had gone bankrupt. And they just have came back, which I think is pretty cool. They, they're just making it. So uh, some people may want to try that. I know Duncan probably will. But anyways, Jack Daniels is not 
the original Tennessee whiskey, which I thought was fascinating. Well, all I got to say to the fine folks listening to that is if they would like to purchase some of that medicine to send to this poor, sickly little old boy, I would be much <laughs> obliged. I, I I would strongly contest that and advise against. So <laughs> anyways, Duncan, I think this has been a pretty good conversation. Next time, I think we'll get into that uh, Rocky Top. Is that that really is so fascinating. We'll try to get guests on talk about what happened from a firsthand view. But anyways, hope everybody has a great week. We'll talk to you soon. Well, Luke, we could do that or we could talk about our namesake, which is a little older than Rocky Top, which is the Tennessee Walls operation. That's right. We need to get to that too. So, uh, But yes, I, I do hope all the fine folks out there in podcast or radio land or whatever that is, you know, I don't know how to work this final technology. Uh, I hope they have a very good week. And if our little podcast brightens their day just a touch more than I think we fulfilled our goal. So I wish them the best and God bless them and God bless you, brother. All right, buddy. Take care. All right.